And welcome to Stack Hunters. I'm your host, Bradley Stalder. Joining me for most of the Stack Hunters this offseason, Dan Williamson. Dan's always a treat to have you joining me. But we have a special guest tonight, a winner of not one, but two FFPC tournaments in the last 12 months, taking the FFPC streets by storm. That's Zach Toyo, our guest tonight. We're going to dive into the strategies that he took last year in both the tournaments where he got his start in fantasy and also what his outlook for 2024 is. I, look, it's leap day. It's February 29th. Lots still to happen between now and the start of the season. But Zach, it's an absolute pleasure having you on. Welcome to Stack Hunters on the Player Profile at Roto Underworld Network. Yeah, Bradley, Dan, thank you. It's a big week for Player Profiler, where the algorithm's getting fed with all this data for from the combine. So it's it's a true honor to be here on the platform, and I think it's the perfect time to chop it up. Yeah, no doubt about that. It is a great time to chop it up, and there's going to be so much fantasy goodness, best ball goodness on Stack Hunters right after this. All right, as I said, Zach won not one, but two FFPC tournaments. One was 200,000. That was the FFPC 2023 best ball tournament. And then the half a million dollar playoff championship here in 2023. Zach, I think the first question before any, of course, like we have the question, what is, what does someone do with $700,000 of fancy football winnings? Like how are you just swimming in it? Are you bathing it? Like how do you gloat with your winnings, especially in such a short period? It's funny you asked that. Obviously I'm doing some smart things, reinvesting some of it in various mm -hmm. markets. I was just, I have to be in California next week. And I was looking at seats for the golden state warriors game. I've never seen Steph Curry live. And guess who comes into town on March 9th? Wemby. So I might be willing to play some of the exorbitant prices to see this unicorn eye level against Steph Curry. I want to show up pregame with, pre with his routine and just relax in. So I'm thinking about that might be my first splurge, a Steph Curry-Wemby game. Mm. Nice. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah and you, you know, you, you got the appetizer first with the best ball tourney and then, then all of a right. sudden the, the big one. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm curious, just like you win that 200,000 and then boom, all of a sudden you got another 500,000. Did you even think that was really much of a possibility or how did, how did you approach uh, getting into that? Did you put a lot into the second tourney, I guess is my question on that. I did have a focus approach. I believe in running pure, running hot, try to capture some of that momentum. And obviously 200K allows a decent rollover into the next tournament. I was participating in the playoff tournament since I've been involved with FFPC. It's just the ultimate game theory contest and was able to manufacture a lot of combinations and was fortunate that this one hit. We have a comment in the chat already. Zach, after winning, I want to apologize to absolutely nobody. That's right. Run <laughs> as pure as possible. That is Toyo's advice to everybody. If you're running pure, continue to run pure. We love it. In the pre-show meeting, Toyo, you were talking with Dan about getting your, your start in fantasy. Can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got your start into fantasy? Sure. Yeah. Born and raised here in Hawaii. Spent some time in California for college. I think, God, I started 23 years ago. I've been infatuated with the real life NFL draft since high school. And in my first uh, restaurant job out of high school, I had to beg the chefs in the back of the house to let me in their league. And the rest was history. As far as high stakes, I, I jumped in in 2013, attacked these isolated 12 man leagues high stakes was in the ffwc sort of uh going against the vets and the goat chad schroeder i had some decent success early on and it just carried on from there 
Yeah, so the NFL draft now is in Detroit. The city of Detroit is very excited for all of the things. Like, literally, I'm I'm walking on the street and people are like, the draft is coming. The draft. I live 25 minutes outside Detroit. So we're very excited. We're going to have a group, a cohort at Player Profiler attend the draft. And as you mentioned, it is really combine season right now. The combine getting underway. We're starting to get some 40s and all of that. There's been some prop bets and things, but this is not that show. This is a best ball show, and you won the best ball tournament, but is this the only style of best ball that you are fancy football do you play? Do you play other styles or like Dynasty, Redraft, or are there other tournaments? Uh, obviously, the playoff tournament was something that you won as well, but what are some of your favorites that you like to invest in and play? Yeah, I'm a managed Redraft gamer at heart, like I mentioned. I round out everything with these cash game style isolated 12-man leagues the main event i'm usually i was averaging 25 prior to this year two years ago i started shifting my focus to best ball participate in the underdog streets and in best ball but yeah i started shifting my focus towards best ball at the root of it. I think uh, I'm a managed guy at heart. So you still keep the managed leagues going? I do. Just carrying 15 FFPC main events is a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> no doubt about the DFS, that. The DFS component is something that I'm seriously considering to fully commit to possibly in the next year or so. That's something that's been on my mind. Yeah, for sure. That that would that that would be an, an interesting way to diversify that investment, but still mm -hmm. stick with something that really pretty well. So you mentioned that you got your start in the FFWC streets. You also have been playing on the FFPC. You mentioned underdog. Which ones are you primarily playing on? Do you have any other big sweats or finishes that you want to share with us as well, in addition to the FFPC victories you had this year? Yeah, I had some sweats in the main event. I, I got four into the tournament, so those seems fizzled out. I did make the underdog finals, BBM4, so that was an absolute thrill being able to play for $3 million. It was a lion stack with Goff, Gibbs, Amon Ra. Laporta, I had that Amari piece in week, in week 16. Oof. So yeah, it was just an unbelievable experience to be in BBM4. I had a couple of futures that were coming down to the wire in week 17, week 18. And I guys, I ran so hot, I had to take out the home league. I got to give props to my boys in the Hookie Lao and I had to take it out this year. We've, nice. we, we average about 165 techs during our, in our stream. So it's pulled back now, but I was glad to take that one out along with all these uh, other purses. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Let me see if I can share my screen. Throw back to the olden days of the COVID years when we were like, hold on, let me share my screen. We've <laughs> got the, the Fancy Mojo draft grid actually of Zach's draft i'm also going to adjust because dan's cut off we cut off half of dan's head here and we're looking here at toyo's team on the ffpc streets and you were the the team with uh wandel robinson correct yeah so uh, quattro i guess was my name i eventually changed it to toyo it, meaning this was my fourth draft overall okay so yeah, this go ahead. Oh, and he, and you did this one pretty early on, right? This was uh, not long after the the NFL draft. Am I correct? Yeah. So I just looked at it. It was it was May third, and it was a it was a slow draft. Um, okay. So yeah, I, I approached the FFPC best ball tournament with volume. I tend to keep an even pace throughout the summer. I open up the valve a little bit towards earlier in the season in order to get a shot to construct these super teams. Yeah, this is one of those early season hits that got some ADP value and I'm pretty surprised it, it, it took it out, quite honestly. 
Yeah, I, I think that's pretty wild too, because there's, there's a lot of people out there who believe that you, there's just no value in drafting early. There, you have to wait until August because nobody knows ADPs, all that kind of stuff. And this just really disproves the fact that you, you can take on teams with from August, September, and you can take them on even with a May squad because of the fact that you can, you can get some great closing value that just isn't available in the later months. Right yeah, on. so looking at this yeah. looking at this team, you started wide receiver, wide receiver, but then anchor running back with Brees Hall. This would this draft happened on May 3rd, right after the NFL draft, and there were concerns about Brees Hall and his progression from the ACL tear, which is why right. he was going in the third round and the I don't think the Jets had acquired Dalvin Cook at this point. But they had drafted Izzy Abanacanda as really the only other piece outside of Michael Carter. Uh, your approach to taking Brees Hall, was it just best player available at that point in the draft? Or was it, I, I want to be taking one of the running backs here and there's going to be, there wasn't another running back drafted until the back half of the fourth round. So did you view it as like a teardrop? Brees was a high conviction player from the start of the season and actually pretty tricky because when I approach these best ball drafts, I am looking for ADP value and it became evident almost maybe a couple weeks after this draft that Brees might start this could have even started the season on PUP. And I stopped drafting Brees because why am I drafting Brees in the third, early fourth? when I could get him in the late fourth, fifth. So that's exactly what happened. So a lot of my Brees shares came early and then late, but Brees was a pick that I just had a high conviction on. And I think just came at the perfect spot in this draft. Yeah. Looking at how it turned out pretty nicely, CD Lamb, Obviously, f- finishing as the wide receiver two in best ball value, Devontae Adams had his major spike weeks. He was one of those players that had more zeros than you liked throughout mm-hmm. the season, but he came up clutch with a few massive, massive games. And then Lamar coming up as the quarterback, too. I think one of the things that, that and Toyo, I'd love to get your feedback on this, too. I think some best ball drafters try to get a little cute with their quarterback. If you are taking zeros at your quarterback position or you are taking getting low value or low production from your quarterback position, it's going to be almost impossible to overcome that. So getting Mm -hmm. a player like Lamar Jackson or a Jalen Hurts or a Josh Allen is so important for these types of drafts. You need to either get a rushing quarterback or expect like a 95th percentile efficiency from a like a Joe Burrow or a player like that, can you speak to the importance of how quarterback plays into your your structure here? Yeah, Lamar was an elite QB. I tended this year with the elevated prices of the elite QB to stay slightly under the field. I think this was a decent value for Lamar relative to closing line value. This portfolio was interesting because I did take Bryce, I believe, in the 13th. And usually when I draft an elite QB, I stay in that two range. I just loved DJ Stroud so much that I had to take him in the next round. So unique from a construction build that I would take three QBs in in an elite QB build. But yes, Lamar separated in, in the weeks that mattered most. He did separate, and then you you got Taysom Hilled, as we like to say here. You got a fourth quarterback, a bonus quarterback here. You intended for him to be your tight end, because at that point we were drafting him as a tight end. You drafted Javon Njoku, and Jake Ferguson hit. Tucker Craft was just fine. So I guess the Taysom Hill pivot really didn't impact you too much. But what was your, your process behind drafting Taysom Hill at that spot? as a tight end i think i think liam could come on this show and spend about an hour talking about (laughs) at least hill but Taysom, i think it was week eight in a lamar cj stroud lineup 
contributed about 17 points. It just ha happened to line up where CJ, Stroud, and Lamar had just absolute floor weeks, I think 12 and 13. And then that week eight game, Taysom went off for 28 in full point PPR. <laughs> yeah, not, not a preferable roster spot to spend on Taysom, but I'm glad he came along for the ride. Yeah, yeah, now, for sure. And just, just to jump in, you had mentioned that you were really big on trying to get value as much as you could. This definitely on this early draft, but is that something you do all the way through the best ball season? Are you really more focused on value than on stacking, or is it just did it just happen to work out this way? Because this this draft obviously doesn't have a, a great deal of stacking, other than it might have. I, di I didn't really get to see if it had any. Bryce Young, DJ Chark. Yep. But not not as much as some people no. like to get two or three stacks of two or three players per team. So you were, you, were, you were pretty late on the stacking on this one. Was that a conscious choice or just the way it worked out because you were chasing the value on ADP? Yeah, and apo apology to the stack hunters, but I did have that Bryce Chark stack. And I think you can see there's multiple week 17 correlations. But I think early on in these early drafts, I'm really focused on ADP, five FFPC best ball tournament portfolios go through week 16. And I remember filtering them and this was my least favorite, just based on the fact that it did not truly have a stack. I think the format of the FFPC, I I'm a little less hypersensitive towards stacking as opposed to underdog. Yeah, I think it's important for fantasy gamers at least when they're looking at something like this to, to understand the format of each relative tournament. FFPC is 10,400 teams with a 72 man final. And I think underdog is 677K and that's vetted down to a four, 440 man final. I think in the FFPC, you can get away with the portfolio, portfolio like this, but as far as underdog, Stacking is borderline mandatory. Yeah, you took a couple players that had either injury concerns or suspension concerns that seemed to be getting ADP values. You mentioned, we talked about Brees Hall earlier, but Jamison Williams was suspended for the first couple games of the season. He was here, Alvin Kamara also dealing with suspension and Wandell Robinson coming off of the ACL. Was that intentional that you were just taking players that, okay, I'm just going to fill in at the beginning of the season, and then since this is a tournament and there's correlation near the end, these players are probably going to be available or healthy or at least peaking, maybe a lot closer to peaking than other players who maybe were full go at the beginning of the season, been dealing with injuries, was that part of your process or it was just a value or maybe you just like those players? What was the process for those selections? Jamison Williams was a correlation with Jake Ferguson and CD Lamb. As far as Wandale, I think when you're taking stabs at injury risk players this early on, there's, you know, there's an opportunity for them to jump in ADP if the camp reports come positive. So yeah, I think that's in line with my early drafting philosophy to really try to target players that could jump in ADP. And then, you know, when the tournament closes, you win on the margins relative to the closing line ADP. So I think that's where these picks came in. Yeah, I, I really like the, the Jake Ferguson pick because it was, you, you tied it in nicely with the rest of that Dallas-Detroit correlation that you had going there. But also it was just a, taking that player right there when there was a lot of uncertainty about what his role was going to be. Knowing, I, which I'm sure you did, that, hey, Dak really likes throwing to the tight end. So this is a this is a gamble worth taking right here. And Ferguson got steamed up in the FFPC. I, don't, I can't remember oh, what yeah, he, big time. but this was, an, this was an outlier value. Even, I think, in live time ADP to get Ferguson at this point. Yeah, I, I think so. Trying to trying to go back to May ADP of last year. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
in my head. I, I, I don't keep all that tightly organized anymore. But yeah, I, I think that was probably a good value at the time. But also, I, I, I think it was fair to expect that somebody at the tight end position in Dallas was going to get steamed up a lot further than the 18th round and become more of a like mid-round 9, 10, 11 type of player. Marvin Mims is staring me in the face. How, how beautiful was the correlate, the Marvin Mims, Quentin Johnson clips when you did last year? It is. It is. And Mims, and Mims was somebody I was huge on last year. I had so much Mims. I was, I was sitting at over 50% Mims, I think, because he was so cheap. Yeah, Mims is a player that. We just got, a couple days ago, Sean Payton got up at the podium and said, the only thing that stopped Mims' progress was was us. And I don't, Toyo, Dan, I don't know how to react. Okay, I do know how to react to that. That makes me not want to draft Marvin Mims this year because Sean Payton is still there. I, that's my initial reaction is this is not, this is not a good thing because even in the middle of the season, Marvin Mims was a player that, Sean Payton was talking up, oh, we need to draw him up some plays and get him the ball more. And it just didn't happen. So is that, are we buying the coach speak yet again? Or, or are we, uh, we pushing that to the wayside? What do you guys think? He's super cheap. I think uh, I'm taking stabs at Mims. I just watched the condensed version of Oklahoma, Texas, where Caleb comes in and uh, uh, usurps Rattler. And that's a great oh, yeah. game to watch if, if you want a bull case for Caleb one. And then you have Marvin Mims breaking out in that game. You have Jonathan Brooks, who's probably going to be one of the top running backs drafted this year. And you have Xavier Worthy in that game. That's a great game to watch to get back on Mims. He had an incredible, incredible game in that Oklahoma, Texas contest where Caleb comes in. Yeah, he was he was a player I was sold on before he went to Denver, and then when Peyton trades up for him, I'm like, okay, this is really kind of his his first pick that he's able to make in the entire draft, and he's taking Mims. That was right. that was a lot of what got me excited about him because I already liked him just as a prospect, and then to to have that happening as well. And he was very clearly Peyton was very clearly not too thrilled with Cortland Sutton or, or Jerry Judy. So, you know, it, it seemed like everything was aligning, but yet Judy and uh, Sutton were providing a little bit of cover for him as well. So every, everything lined up perfectly, so it's, it was easy to get in on him a lot. This, this year, yeah, I think it, it will be interesting to see once free agency kind of starts, the draft goes. If all of a sudden Mims is, it's like Mims and Cortland Sutton, it'll be interesting to see where his ADP goes. Yeah, we'll see. Sutton and Judy were both on the trade block last offseason, and Judy was terrible for fantasy last year. <laughs> <laughs> That's putting it nicely. I think he was in the outside the top 60 of wide receivers in terms of best ball value ratings. Yeah, it's it's disaster zone. Zach, any last words about this team before we move on to the FFPC playoff challenge roster? Yeah, I think we covered it. I think for any of the stack hunters in the audience, I think I took a big stab at this tournament. I think I, I think I reached 125 draft. I don't think necessarily you need volume. As you can see, this is the fourth draft of mine. Uh, I think it's important to keep an even pace. And uh, by the way, Billy M Muzio is in, in, I think in the three hole in this draft. Yep. Yep. He was, uh, uh yeah. And that's actually that. That was my strategy as far as how many drafts I wanted to do. It was a one to two ratio to Billy. So every <laughs> draft Billy would fire off, I'd fire off two. There you go. I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm not quite sure how much he did, but this is the strategy, <laughs> right? <laughs> we'll let Billy know. We'll let Billy know that that is the that is the strategy for winning the the best ball tournament moving forward. Beebs into traps as the best part of Mims when he broke out against Washington. Peyton was like, "Nope, too explosive for our <laughs> office." This is great. We love we love the chat. One question before we move on: Anthony did ask, "Do you guys have as high stakes best ball players see success more in specific times of the calendar?" We did see in the underdog streets that draft happened. Oh, 
like a week before the season, a couple days before the season. So is there a preferred time for Zach, you and Dan to be firing off these high stakes drafts or is it just continue that rhythm? Like Zach, you were mentioning earlier. I, this best ball season, I, the, the thing that made it so successful for me is I kept an even pace throughout the summer. And I think it's important to attack each pocket during the summer it just creates these unique combinations you get values you get more information as i said earlier i tend to open up the valve a little bit more in the early season i think you can really put together some super teams but then i also like information late in the season so i think as long as you're taking an even pace if you have eight bullets for ffpcs pace it out where you're doing two in may maybe two in august june july so that's how i approach it yeah and i I, i'm pretty much the same i like to keep a fairly even pace going throughout the year i do go a little bit heavier in may and 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 like toyo i also go a little bit heavier in august september because in may you can you can get those really unique builds Mm -hmm. but also you tend to be going up against some sharper players Whereas in, you start getting into August and you start having a little bit more, there's there's some drafts that aren't quite as cutthroat at that point. Billy would call them tourist season, right, Dan? Yeah, tourist, tourist season is open. I, I, I was trying to be nice to all the tourists. I don't, I don't want to <laughs> scare them off. So, yeah, yeah you, it, it, and for me also, it, it's like key times I want to do it. I, I want to I try to hit right around when mini camp fires off. And mm-hmm. I want to try to hit another little batch right around when training camp fires off, just because those are when we start to see some ADPs really shifting around and people are starting to pay more attention to this fluff piece or that fluff piece. And mm-hmm. if you can suss out the difference between what's fluff and what's really more of a steady drum beat or anything like that, it, it can give you a little bit of advantage when those players are moving around in the, in the ADP like they are. That's why we have to pay very close attention to Player Profiler News. If you guys go to playerprofiler.com slash news, you'll get the stream of all of the news items that our News Desk team has been putting out there. Make sure you guys are checking that out if you haven't before. Obviously, you can go to each of the players' profiles and click on News and Media on playerprofiler.com. Just search the player Go to news and media. You'll see a listing of that player's most recent news. But if you go to playerprofiler.com slash news, it's just like the old Roto World stream where you can just look at all the news. And many of our news desk players, many of our news desk content creators have also put some videos there too. So if you want a little bit extra, check out playerprofiler.com slash news. We also have it. Look, it's best ball season, Toyo. It's it's also dynasty season. So we have a word from Matt Kelly about our Dynasty Dominator app. Now, I know many of you are looking for a secret weapon for your Dynasty League, and I have it. It's called the Dynasty Dominator app. You go to the App Store, go to Google Play. It's right there. It's $5 to download, and then every year it's $5 to load the next incoming class of rookies. You can add Superflex, add tight end premium. It's incredible because it allows you to look up players. It allows you to vote on whether a player is a buy, hold, or sell, and then see the market sentiment on that player and you can compare their lifetime value rating from player profiler to their dynasty ADP at the FFPC all in the price lookup tool. And beyond that, we have a trade analyzer. So you'll never lose another dynasty trade again. And in our settings, you can set, this is a win now team. This is a rebuilding team. And then we let you compare players. Look at their metrics side by side, prospect metrics, NFL metrics. It's all there. It's five bucks in the app store. There's some add-ons for super flex and, to buy the upcoming rookie class every year. You're going to spend $5 on this thing and it's going to be well worth it. That's right. The dynasty dominator is well worth it. Zach has been a loyal player profiler guy for many, many years. We're grateful for Zach jumping on and sharing with us his best ball strategies, winning the tournament, but also winning the 2023 FFPC playoff championship. Zach, it's great once again having you on, sharing you with uh, co-host Dan Williamson at Overhype Sleeper. Make sure you guys are following Zach on Twitter, the X Machine, whatever you want to call it, at Zach Toyo. Uh, Zach, we have your team. You had Josh Allen at quarterback, 
Aaron Jones, Christian McCaffrey at running back. Wide receivers, Amon Ra, C.D. Lamb, Devonta Smith, Mike Evans, Puka Nakua, David Njoku and Travis Kelsey at tight ends, Tuck, Justin Tucker, and the Houston defense as your team. Now, the rule for this, correct me if I'm wrong, but the rule is only one player per team. And that is the kind of strategy. You can only select one player per team, and it's cumulative points throughout, correct? So you're trying to maximize the points as you're going through this tournament. And, of course, you were able to get Travis Kelsey and Christian McCaffrey in the Super Bowl. What was your process in attacking both the structure and the player uh, selections as you were making your choices going into this tournament? Yeah, this tournament... You need to approach it from a macro view with the playoff bracket in mind and then implement these micro player takes and forecast how this bracket would take shape. My first decision point was deciding who the best play in this tournament was. And I thought the Ravens were the deserving favorites. Zay Flowers and Isaiah Likely were undesirable picks. So I settled on Lamar Jackson. And I started with about 45% of all my entries with Lamar, which was the incorrect answer. So that right there is just an example of where the macro take is supersedes the player take. Yeah, it totally makes sense. You gotta, you've got to know who to, which teams to fade and which which teams are going to go the farthest. That's that's the first thing you need to decide is, is Zach said, kind of line out a bracket and then work off of that. And then you can do, some people like to, to do a spread of teams with very different brackets. Others like to concentrate on one or two particular ways the playoff bracket mm-hmm. might go and then push most of their entries towards those. I'm, I'm curious, Toya, which way you went on that. Yeah, so, you know, obviously winning the best ball tournament allowed me to fire off a volume amount in here. I was participating in this tournament, usually selling around 15 to 20 lineup. So I had an expanded view on this bracket and had access to more combinations than I used to. Um, This bracket was unique with the late breaking news, you had the AJ Brown designation that came in really late. You had Mark Andrews coming back to the fold and really most importantly, you had the weather in Kansas city and Buffalo. So once that game, that Buffalo game got moved to Monday, I started shifting some of my ownership from Lamar to Josh and looking at this team i the biggest one of the biggest things i did was have a pretty hard fade on miami which was frightening because you're essentially fading tyreek hill but by having a hard fade on miami that just opened up the nfc side and that's how i wanted to play it in last year's tournament i finished top 20 and you need to hit that one and done positional player. I think, as you know, Dan, last oh, yes. year it was, it was DK Metcalf. Um, and if you look at my team, it's Josh Allen from the AFC and two tight ends, David Njoku and Kelsey from the AFC. And all my positional players are from the NFC. The NFC side of the bracket, I wanted to play through it. And that's exactly what you needed. You needed that Puka Nakua one and done. And we obviously got some production from Mike Evans, Devonte Smith. So yeah, it was an interesting. It was an interesting year in this tournament. It, it really was because there was a lot of chalk in this tournament. I think more right. than, than than almost any other year that I've ever seen. It was just it was so tough to get away from it. And interestingly, one of the ways you got away from it, when I look at your lineup here, is rather than go off of, try to put in more fringe type players, you chose to be unique by having, okay, we're gonna fade Baltimore, Justin Tucker, uh, and still get that kicker in there. 
the Houston defense obviously worked out very well for you as well. But by doing little things like that, you could afford to eat a lot of chalk at a lot of the other positions, which, uh, you know, which worked out really good because, you know, when I look at this, I'm like, you know, my first thought is, wow, that's, that's, that's heavy chalk, but the way you went about it made it much more likely to be unique, which it, it, it in fact turned out to be. Yeah. So the Justin Tucker play was a soft fade essentially mm -hmm. on Baltimore. And I was working through the bracket that Cleveland was actually going to defeat Houston. So there was a fortunate break for me with the kicker and defense where Houston advanced, but the Houston D scored two TDs. So they stayed level with Nico Collins and Schultz. And even from the Baltimore side, Lamar went off, but Tucker had 17 points and he stayed even with Zay and likely so you know the chiefs i did take chiefs and patrick mahomes 12 to 1 odds once the playoff bracket got settled so i did see a potential out with tucker that baltimore could lose to kc but overall it was fortunate that this the key to this team truly was the defense and kicker yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, interestingly, I I did I did a few in this tournament and did did not do quite as well as you, shall we say? But I yeah, I did JD and I it, it, real late. There's a, a kind of a second chance tournament, the divisional round one. I don't know yes. if you did any of those, Toyo, or not. But we we decided at the last minute to put in a couple teams. It, JD made one, I made one, and we ended up finishing tied for fourth in that. There were t three teams tied for first, and then there were three more teams that were tied for what ended up being fourth, fifth, and sixth. And I was I was just so mad at myself because we'd done it so late. I, I had a couple of easy pivots off of chalk that would have worked for Houston or for, for Detroit. If I'd done either one of those pivots, we would have finished <laughs> in sole possession of first place. Oh. But that's... That's just, it, it's the, the game started and 15 minutes into the first game, I, I'm already kicking myself. I'm like, why did I put Amon Ra? I should have put Laporta. I should have put Laporta. And this, the same thing in Houston. I'm like, I, 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 instead of the defense, or no, I didn't have the Houston defense. I had, I think I had Nico Collins, but I could have gone with, I could have gone with the Dalton Schultz would have worked. So either, either one of those pivots would have put us just over. And instead, we finished like 0.3 behind the top three teams. Oh, I think that's why we all love this tournament in the industry. It's it's an absolute tilt. It is. Um, it is when you get it wrong, and it just is. Yeah, it's so, it's the ultimate game theory. Bradley, you got to jump in, and we got to we got to put together a team next year. That sounds great. I'm and here tilt for together. this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here for, sure. for all the tilting. <laughs> yeah, because it was it, we we ended up with our our split of fourth, fifth, and sixth place was six thousand six hundred sixty six dollars or something like that. It, it could have easily been a hundred thousand just by that one little tweak uh, that I did not make. So <laughs> I don't well, know you, the, about. No, go ahead. The Laporta news was like he probably wasn't going to play, and his knee right. injury. There were major concerns about his availability. So I know you're kicking yourself about the result, but the process was. There were serious concerns he wouldn't even be on the field. Yeah, though this was this didn't start. This one started after the first week of the playoffs, so it was a second yeah. chance one. So we had seen Laporta playing, and it looked like playing pretty well. And, and again, it was one of those places where I was just kicking myself because I knew that Laporta yeah. was going to be much lower owned than than Amon Ra. And I, I think that's one of the things that, that Toyo and I haven't really touched on is a lot of it. Also, is you just have to be able to forecast where ownership is going to come in on each of these players so that you can find some lower owned players to go in. My my biggest pivot was instead of Diggs or Josh Allen, I did Khalil Shakir for Buffalo, which which worked out pretty well. Worked out better than Diggs for sure. It's just little little things like that that can make all the difference. There's there's sometimes there are teams that are you're one or two players off, but you've you, you can finish completely out of the money because you're only one or two players off. Yeah, those, that's the big differential, just one or two line decisions can make, especially in a contest like that where 
you're you're gonna share a lot of similar thoughts like the people who enter that type of tournament are thinking very deeply about predicting similar outcomes and so you're thinking how can i make one little pivot or one little pull one lever and that maybe can be the difference in three tenths of a point can be the difference between mm -hmm. 10 grand or 100 grand those are those are big things to consider as we are getting prepped for 2024. So we're going to move on to the 2024 discussion here. Zach, we've already dabbled a little bit in, in the best ball streets here in the way too early or never too early best ball drafts here on FFPC. I've, I've dabbled a little bit myself in these. Do you like keeping it pretty evenly paced in the pre NFL draft? The streets or do you want to just draft right before the nfl draft how are you pacing out your pre-nfl draft best ball uh selections i think i spoke to the volume that i did in best ball manage and throughout other platforms so yep at least for this year year i implemented a self-imposed degen load management program <laughs> and what happened was bradley sent me an invite for the kickoff for the FFPC never too early. And I, I, I definitely missed it. And then I think Dan, you tweeted the board out and I took a look, I took a look at it and I'm looking at late fifth Bowers, 11th round Christian Watson. I'm seeing like 12th round Brian Thomas. And I don't know if you guys were involved in the NFT bull run, but when you'd miss a mint or a launch, you'd be gripped with this FOMO. And that's <laughs> the same exact feeling I had when I saw your board. So I'm deep. I'm deep in these streets. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. One of the things that we noticed from last year was a quarterback. And quarterback panned out pretty well for you. You had you drafted three. You got a bonus quarterback with your winning roster with Taysom Hill. But one of the things we noticed about the quarterback position was that we had an unprecedented amount of injuries to presumed starters. Mm -hmm. And you got four in your best ball on your bet winning best ball roster. We've also noticed over the course of the last couple of years since the 17 game season has been implemented more and more quarterbacks are missing starting quarterbacks are missing more games. So how is that impacting your philosophy of quarterback and your, therefore your roster construction where we don't know where some of these quarterbacks are going to land either in the uh, NFL draft or the free agent quarterbacks like the Kirk cousins, like how are you approaching those ambiguous landing spot type of quarterbacks given the need now or perceived need of the quarterback position and the roster construction. So I think the market overcorrected last year and now it's capitulated back. I'm probably still going to be under the field on the elite QB. Just there's so much opportunity cost, speci uh, specifically at wide receiver in that range. And I do some of the late round quarterbacks and it is a little shocking to see the durability of these QBs. Anthony Richardson, he, I don't know if you remember the injury, but this specimen just simply breaks pocket and it seems like a routine tackle and his shoulder is gone. So yeah, I might be a little bit more open to three QB builds just from the ravage wasteland that happened this year with the QB. It's 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 very the QBs are very interesting this year. I do have my targets. Yeah, in these early best ball drafts, I have taken some Josh and Patrick Mahomes. And the, the stacking trick is that I think these both these teams are close to a guarantee in attacking this wide receiver class and adding one either in the draft or, or free agency. Yep, totally agree with that. I think I, th I think there's a lot of interesting quarterbacks late as well, too. I've been trying to hold off a little bit on my quarterbacks in these these things as well. Just because you can pick up Cousins, it, it, I don't know why you would take like Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence or any, any of these other pocket passers or primarily pocket passers when you've got access to a Cousins that much later. You know, and Jaden Daniels, 
to me, he could end up being very, very similar to Anthony Richardson for a, a much, much cheaper cost. So there's a, there's a lot of different ways to attack. It also allows you to get some backdoor stacks in where you can you can build up a couple of wide receivers or wide receiver and a tight end or something like that and, and then throw in the quarterback at the end. Yeah, I've, I've actually been avoiding Jaden Daniels just because I don't quite understand the gap between him and Drake May. I prefer Drake. Obviously, I'm making bets that Drake is going to land with Washington and mm-hmm. as this draft process drags on I could be wrong but I've been taking Drake Terry the red flags of Drake where he's in that Josh Allen mode where he's a little reckless plays a little YOLO ball and uh, but that's exactly what we want in fantasy I think so yeah I, I I've been taking a lot of Drake yeah, I've been getting a lot of him too because, and also because he's so cheap, he's even rounds cheaper than Jaden Daniels. That that makes it a lot easier to grab him. And, and as you said, I've, I've got the same thing going in a couple of teams where I've got that that stack going with. I'm presuming he's Washington, so I'm putting mm-hmm. him with with McLaurin or Dotson or whoever as well. So there's an interesting pocket. We'll pivot to running backs. There's an interesting pocket of running back rookies going in the 130s to about the 160s or so. The Trey Benson, Blake Corum, Bucky Irving, Braylon Allen, Audric Estime, Marshawn Lloyd, like that cluster of running backs seem to be like the top tier. Like Jonathan Brooks is going a little bit higher, but like that seems to be the cluster of our rookie running backs for right now. Like, Zach, how are you approaching the rookie running back class given the the chatter that it is weaker than classes before and that there is a pretty strong veteran free agent running back class right now? How are you approaching that pocket of rookies in rounds like 11, 12, 13 or so? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been building these early drafts with sort of a modified hyper-fragile RB build where I'm drafting four running backs in the first 10 rounds, maybe sprinkling in a late-round running back. I want my bullets in that rookie running back range at 13 through 16 for these rookie wide receivers. Mm. So the construct thing where I'm overlooking these rookie running backs, I think just from sentiment it seems like trey benson might be have the best shot to maybe get on a team and uh, acquire that workhorse role in these hyper fragile builds though my favorite pick and i'm reaching on him is bucky irving Mm. i think he is just going to give you that floor you need um especially in a hyper fragile he could be your fifth qb and give you these tajay spears rookie year floor weeks yeah i'd be interested to see see who dan likes in this class because I, I i can't get a hold on this rookie running back class yeah I, i'm still working my way through it too and jalen wright is probably my favorite of the later round ones out of tennessee mm-hmm. uh, i think he's got a do it all skill set he should he should run real fast and so i i like him a lot ray davis i think is mm-hmm. a really nice pick as well will shipley I've, I've gotten a little bit of him in there. I've been mostly doing the same thing, though. I haven't gotten very much of the Jonathan Brooks, Braylon Allen, Blake Corum, that whole tier. Where I've been majoring is, like, around the sixth round or so, start to hit some of these veteran running backs that, to me, are probably just going way too late. Like the Aaron Jones, Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah. And these guys, Joe Mixon, I, I just I don't think that Cincinnati Tony Pollard. Has, Tony Pollard. <laughs> I, I don't think Cincinnati really has any incentive to cut Mixon because they already they already got a pay cut out of him last year. They reworked his contract, so he's making a lot less this year. And it's, they've got one more cheap year of Burrow. It, it, it's like the T. Higgins thing. Everybody's talking about Higgins going away for weeks, and now everybody's figured out, hey, T. Higgins is not going anywhere because they've got plenty of money to pay the guy. They got plenty of money to pay Mixon, too. I, I, I think there's a, a nice pocket of veteran backs in there. Uh, like in round six through nine or whatever, or five through nine. And so you can go out, you can major on the other positions early and then just stock up on running backs in there. And then I've been coming back, you know, around 14, 15, 16, just adding 
maybe one more guy, and then at the end of the draft, I'll add some guys that nobody else wants, Dante Foreman or something like that. Guys I think are going to just get a job and somehow work their way into a rotation somehow. Justice right. Hill, I think another one. Yeah, so that Josh Jacobs, Camara, Derek Henry range in the fifth, yep. that pocket I've been avoiding. And one of my highly... Mm. most highly exposed players i i'm comfortably taking tajay spears above all of them Mm -hmm. um and by adp that's somewhat of a reach i'm just not gonna enter in baltimore sweep sweepstakes as far as the landing spot i think everyone thinks henry's gonna go to the the ravens and they're hoping josh josh jacobs is but yeah i'd rather take a ramondre in the six, then that sort of cluster of Jacobs, Camara, Henry, that pocket concerns me. Yeah, I, I, I like Jacobs all right. I've don't I don't think I have any Henry yet, or at least not much. I've been finding myself drafting a lot of the zero running backs. So those fifth round running backs I've not been in getting into, but when they fall like into that next round, like I've gotten some Ken Walker in that next round. In the round six, I've gotten some of the, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned like Aaron Jones, even Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara, like those guys falling, but I, I'm not investing top five draft, top five round capital in those players. If there is an early round running back, that's not McCaffrey. The one that I'm like targeting the most is Travis Etienne. He seems to fall into like round three pretty often. And given his value, I have him valued as like a mid-second round type of player. So for him to sometimes follow the third is one of my favorites if I'm going like anchor running back. Yep. Makes sense. Yep. All right. We'll keep her moving. There's There was a ton on the show sheet. Dan <laughs> prepared us very well. He gave us a lot of meat. We've di- dived very deeply We've got enough time. We can make a little pivot here to the on the clock portion of the show sheet. And we'll just go around round robin real quick. You're on the clock and you are clicking. And I will lead us off with Nico Collins, Zach, Dan, and then I'll answer Nico Collins or DJ Moore. Tank Dell is alpha in Houston, DJ Moore. Yeah, I'm on DJ Moore there as well. I'm also team DJ Moore. It's a consensus here as dangerous when everyone agrees. DK Metcalf or Mike Evans? JSN didn't pass that eye test, so we got to go DK Metcalf. I, I'm going Evans on this one. I've just never been, I don't know, DK has always left me feeling a little bit flat. The guy can definitely do it from game to game, which is what we like in best ball. But Evans has been so consistent for so long, and he he just doesn't really seem like he's slowing down. One of these days, I'm going to be sorry that I I make that choice, but I'm going Evans. Give me Mike Evans as well. There's been some rumors of Tyler Lockett still returning to Seattle, staying on the team. And you mentioned JSN. He's still going to exist in this offense. And Mike McDonald's probably not going to be a super pass-heavy guy, given his defensive background. Probably going to lean on someone else. And Mike Evans still, even with the ambiguity of what his future holds for me. All right, we've got a tier of quarterbacks, Zach. you got to pick one. And no cowarding out using whoever I selected earlier in the draft to stack with. Okay, no cowarding out there. (laughs) Fields, Justin Fields, Jordan Love, uh, Justin Justin. Herbert, or Kyler Murray. The 2024 MVP is going to be Jordan Love. So, obviously, it's Jordan Love. (laughs) Nice. You you just made Bradley's day. Did you see the Robert Tunya jersey behind me and all the Packers <laughs> It was one of my first future bets that I placed. So I love you got it. skin on that. Ooh. That's that's great. I, I was heavy into love last year, so I I, I I like that pick. Just to be different though, I'm gonna go Kyler Murray. I think he's got a he's gonna have a nice set of weapons. He's gonna he's Connor, I think, works well with Murray. And then you've got Trey McBride and then it sounds like there's a very good chance that they're going to be adding either probably Marvin Harrison Jr. or Wake Neighbors. And given some actual good weapons, Kyler's always been a pretty good quarterback, so I'll take him. 
Yeah, for me, it was down to either Jordan Love or Kyler Murray. It's not going to be Herbert or Fields, frankly. And for me, the bias, yes, the Green Bay Packers bias is there for sure. But I think that we didn't even see Jordan Love unlocked last year for the entirety of the season, given Christian Watson's injuries, Jaden mm-hmm. Reed playing part-time, and just Jordan Love was arguably one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL for the first half of the season. Real talk. It was, he was atrocious. But with all of those things now and my optimism for Christian Watson, I'm a Watson truther, but also the Packers fired their strength and conditioning coach. Things couldn't get much worse. So give me Jordan Love and a healthy Christian Watson, wide receiver one Christian Watson, 2024 all right, let's move on. Bijan Robinson or Jameer Gibbs? It looks like Fields is going to be going to Atlanta. Is that mm-hmm. the case? I, that's what everybody's saying. Mm. I'm going to go Bijan. Just I think it's a safer floor for Bijan as opposed to Gibbs. Yep, I'm there as well. I'm Team Bijan, but it is close. I'm I'm definitely not going to be walking out of this tourney without some Gibbs in the portfolio as well. I'll go with Bijan. We saw Khalil Herbert still be a pretty good running back for fantasy when Fields was out there. And Bijan is so much better than than Khalil Herbert. So just opening lanes, keeping teams honest. And I think that offense all, what is the, the phrase, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that that's what we're going to see with Justin Fields, just an improvement across the board in just about every single quarterback metric when it comes to how the offense is operated. And it's going to be a real NFL offense. We can't really say the Bears was a good NFL offense. The Atlanta Falcons wasn't. I think we're going to be looking at a completely different team here in 2024. Give me Bijan Robinson. Let's pivot to Isaiah Pacheco or James Cook. I think Pacheco is a guy I'd probably target. It seemed like in the playoff run, he was consistently maybe getting three targets and all we need. And I, I love the player. Yeah, for for this one, I my true answer is probably neither. What scares me about both of these guys is just the fact that there are so many quality free agent running backs that are out on the streets. Some of them are going to end up signing for really cheap. Uh, Neither one of these teams, I think, really wants to spend a lot on running back, but I think both of them need better answers for a backup running back than what they had last year. So I'm a a little bit concerned that they they may not hold the same level of value as they did last year. So I'm, I'm shying away for right now. Uh, once free agency starts and we start seeing players land, uh, I'll probably dive in a little bit more. If I have to pick a player, I'll pick James Cook with the pass catching possibility. He also looks really dynamic and he fended off pretty much all the other running backs that they had brought in. And the Bills got rid of Devin Singletary last off seasons. I think we'll just continue to ride the James Cook, uh, the James Cook train. We, we, you mentioned Bowers earlier in the podcast. We're winding down. It's Evan Ingram. It's Brock Bowers, George Kittler, David Njoku, Zach. You got to pick one of these tight ends. Who are you going with? I got to go with Bowers. Just his prospect pro- profile. He seems like he's going to be the guy. Yeah, I think I, I think if Bowers lands well, he's, he's definitely going to be that guy. I... I like Ingram an awful lot, too, just because of the fact that the, the Peterson offense always has a heavy feature on the tight end, and, and Trevor Lawrence is very comfortable throwing to him. So it doesn't really matter to me who's in there at wide receiver for the Jags. I think Ingram is going to have a healthy share of targets. So he, he, to me, is one of those really safe picks. Yeah, we're in the best ball streets, and George Kittle is always – one of those players that you can't ignore for the 30 point outbursts. <laughs> you got to throw him and give him some love. I think we've all consensus though, decided not in Joku as, as we're moving forward. I think in is one of the more overpriced tight ends right now in the best ball streets. So he's in the void for me. If I get any shares of him, it's probably going to be more in the August, September range, maybe end of July than right now in February 29th. Yep, All right. totally makes sense. And it, it, Last- interestingly, interestingly enough, just real quick, I I had a, a dynasty team with Hawkinson on it, uh, you know, and I Hawkinson with with the injuries. I'm I'm out on him for this year. Uh, how do you guys feel about Hawkinson? 
I don't know why we're drafting the Chubbs, the Hawkinsons, the Keaton Mitchells. They're pup candidates. So I, I, it's just a market inefficiency, especially in these early drafts that I just, I just don't understand. These are pup are you, candidates. Are you, are, are you there as well, Brad? Yeah, for Hawkinson, I could see getting some exposure to him in the Week 15, 16, 17 tournament type of plays, but... I'm not going to have a lot of him. And I think at tight end 12, that's a price I'm not willing to take shots on at this point. Zach mentioned the pup candidate, but the, the injury happened late in the season. Like it's going to take him time to recover. And even if he's quote unquote ahead of schedule, that just means he's on schedule. So <laughs> let's not get carried away. Hawkinson is way is very overpriced at tight end 12. We'll add, we'll just go around last one last thing. Then Zach has been too generous with his time. 67 minutes so far just picking his brain going through all of these strategies it's been an absolute pleasure and follow him on twitter at zach toyo make sure you jump in the ffpc streets and draft next to him so that he can take advantage of your mistakes that's what he did with <laughs> billy but okay what is one stack that each of you are targeting as you're going through your drafts yeah so i mentioned jordan love earlier it's a, almost a clerical error what's going on in the market because the market is saying Aaron Jones in the fifth. We got Christian mm. Watson. We got Romeo Dubes. We got Dontavian Wicks. We have the two tights, Kraft and Musgrave. Even Bo Melton, you can take in the 20th. So if the market's saying that Jordan Love is going to support these ADPs, he should be at least up around. He's a flat out baller. The stack is so open to you. I've been to Dubes fader for a while so that gives you Dontavian and then I'm taking Kraft over Musgrave so love Kraft and Wicks that's my stack also the Tennessee stack is nice and cheap DeAndre Hopkins is mispriced Tajay Spears I'm very high on and I think Levis is going to be fine yeah I, I I definitely agree with you on the the Green Bay stack. That's one that I've been doing. And the nice thing is, is you can vary it around. You yep. can get the dupes in there. You can get the Dimtavian Wicks. So you, you can mix and match a little bit with that one. No two Green Bay stacks of mine have been anywhere near the same yet. And I've, I've also done a little bit of Arizona stacking with Kyler Murray. You can put mm -hmm. Trey McBride and Marvin Harrison, sometimes on the, the same team with the Kyler Murray. Sometimes you can even throw James Conner in there if you're, if you're feeling especially frisky. I don't think I've done that one yet, but, but I've, I've definitely gotten McBride with either Harrison or Neighbors and then picking up Kyler Murray. Yeah, and one stack that I'm big in on, and I'm continuing to tap this, but it seems to be discounted a little bit this year as well as Lamar and Mark Andrews. There's a lot of market sentiment that Andrews is fragile and that he's made of glass and you're getting some discounts here and there in certain pockets of drafts and give me Lamar who's always in contention of being a top three quarterback plus Andrews who has the pathway to be tight end one any given season. Give me that that stack especially given there's a lot of market love for zay flowers and i like pivoting off of flowers onto mark andrews yep totally agree i i like the, the lamar andrews stack i've got a couple of those going in uh, different formats as well too all right zach it's been an absolute pleasure you've been on for 70 minutes goodness gracious this has been an absolute treat thank you for carving <laughs> out uh this time with us anything you want to pop before we call it for the evening sure i think if you're looking to accumulate right now take xavier worthy i have about 50 percent of him that's the beauty of these tournaments you get to sweat the combine so these big adp jumps this combine is the first market moving event xavier worthy around a 10.55 as a 15 year old 100 meter dash in high so these track athletes are going to translate i'm thinking he could even break four three uh, so this is your last tr chance to grab Xavier Worthy. Who else? Keon Coleman. He's going to look the best in tights. Basketball player. I think he's going to do well on the jumps. Player profiler model is going to like his explosive metrics. So accumulate Keon, Xavier Worthy before they jump up. And yep. uh, yeah, thanks guys for having me. Big fan of player profiler. And I hope we can do some drafts together and uh, chop it up here soon. 
Definitely. We'll have to get you in on some of the drafts that Dan and I do moving forward. Zach, absolute pleasure. Dan, it's always great. Always a treat being with you as well on the Stack Hunters podcast. On behalf of Zach and Dan, I'm Bradley. Until next time, good luck in the best ball streets, everybody. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.